0: Chapter 1 of The Constitution of Athens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards. The Constitution of Athens, by Aristotle, translated by Sir Frederick Kenyon. Chapter One, they were tried by a court empanelled from among the noble families and sworn upon the sacrifices the part of accuser was taken by myron they were found guilty of the sacrilege and their bodies were cast out of their graves and their race banished for evermore moreover in addition to this epimenides the cretan performed a purification of the city chapter two after this event there was contention for a long time between the upper classes and the populace not only was the constitution at this time oligarchical in every respect but the poorer classes men women and children were the serfs of the rich they were known as pelata and also as hectimari because they cultivated the lands of the rich at the rent of a sixth part of the produce the whole country was in the hands of a few persons and if the tenants failed to pay their rent they were liable to be haled into slavery and their children with them all loans were secured upon the debtor's person a custom which prevailed until the time of solon who was the first to appear as a leader of the people but the hardest and bitterest part of the constitution in the eyes of the masses was their state of serfdom at the same time they were discontented with every other feature of their lot for to speak generally they had no part nor share in anything chapter three now the ancient constitution as it existed before the time of draco was organized as follows the magistrates were elected according to qualifications of birth and wealth. At first they governed for life, but subsequently for terms of ten years. The first magistrates, both in date and in importance, were the king, the polemarch, commander in war, close bracket, and the archon. The earliest of these offices was that of the king, which existed from ancestral antiquity to this was added secondly the office of polemarch on account of some of the kings proving feeble in war for which reason Ion was invited to accept the post on an occasion of pressing need the last of the three offices was that of the archon which most authorities state to have come into existence in the time of medan others assign it to the time of acastus and adduce as proof the fact that the nine archons swear to execute their oaths as in the days of acastus which seems to suggest that it was in his reign that the descendants of Codros retired from the kingship in return for the prerogatives conferred upon the archon whichever way it be the difference in date is small but that it was the last of these magistracies to be created is shown by the fact that the archon has no part in the ancestral sacrifices as the king and the polemarch have but only in those of later origin so it is only at a comparatively late date that the office of archon has become of great importance by successive accretions of power the thesmothete were appointed many years afterwards when these offices had already become annual and the object of their creation was that they might publicly record all legal decisions and act as guardians of them with a view to executing judgment upon transgressors of the law accordingly their office alone of those which have been mentioned was never of more than annual duration so far then do these magistrates precede all others in point of date at that time the nine archons did not all live together the king occupied the building now known as the bacolium near the prytaneum as may be seen from the fact that even to the present day the marriage of the king's wife to dionysus takes place there the archon lived in the prytaneum the polemarch in the epiliceum the latter building was formerly called the polemarchium but after Epilicos, during his term of office as Polemarch, had rebuilt it and fitted it up, it was called the Epilyium. The Thesmotheta occupied the Thesmothetum in the time of Solon. However, they all came together into the Thesmothetum. They had power to decide cases finally on their own authority, not as now merely to hold a preliminary hearing such then was the arrangement of the magistracies the council of areopagus had as its constitutionally assigned duty the protection of the laws but in point of fact it administered the greater and most important part of the government of the state and inflicted personal punishments and fines summarily upon all who misbehaved themselves This was the natural consequence of the facts that the Archons were elected under qualifications of birth and wealth, and that the Areopagus was composed of those who had served as Archons, for which latter reason the membership of the Areopagus is the only office which has continued to be a life magistracy to the present day. Chapter 4 such was in outline the first constitution but not very long after the events above recorded in the archonship of aristichmus draco drew up his legislation the organization he established had the following form the franchise was given to all who could furnish themselves with a military equipment the nine archons and the treasurers were elected by this body from persons possessing an unencumbered property of not less than ten minas the less important officials from those who could furnish themselves with a military equipment and the generals strategi and commanders of the cavalry hipparchi from those who could show an unencumbered property of not less than a hundred minas and had children born in lawful wedlock over ten years of age these officers were required to hold to bail the pritanis the strategi and the hipparchi of the preceding year until their accounts had been audited taking four securities of the same class as that to which the strategi and the hipparchi belonged there was also to be a council consisting of four hundred and one members, elected by lot from among those who possessed the franchise. Both for this and for the other magistracies the lot was cast among those who were over thirty years of age, and no one might hold office twice until everyone else had had his turn, after which they were to cast the lot afresh. If any member of the council failed to attend when there was a sitting of the council or of the assembly he paid a fine to the amount of three drachmas if he was a pentacocio medimnus two if he was a knight and one if he was a the council of areopagus was guardian of the laws and kept watch over the magistrates to see that they executed their offices in accordance with the laws any person who felt himself wronged might lay an information before the council of areopagus on declaring what law was broken by the wrong done to him but as has been said before loans were secured upon the persons of the debtors and the land was in the hands of a few chapter five. now seeing that such was the organization of the constitution and that the many were in slavery to the few, the people rose against the upper class. The strife was keen, and for a long time the two parties were face to face with one another, till at last, by common consent, they appointed Solon to be mediator and archon, and committed the whole constitution to his hands. The immediate occasion of his appointment was his poem, which begins with the words Quote, I see and within my heart deep sadness has claimed its place as i look on the oldest home of the ancient ionian race slain by the sword in this poem he fights and disputes on behalf of each party in turn against the other and finally he advises them to come to terms and put an end to the quarrel existing between them by birth and reputation solon was one of the foremost men of the day but in wealth and position he was of the middle class as is generally agreed and is indeed established by his own evidence in these poems where he exhorts the wealthy not to be grasping but ye who have store of good who are sated and overflow restrain your swelling soul and still it and keep it low let the heart that is great within you be trained a lowlier way ye shall not have all at your will, and we will not for ever obey Close quote. indeed, he constantly ascribes the origin of the conflict to the rich, and accordingly, at the beginning of the poem, he says that he fears quote, the love of wealth and an overweening mind, Close quote. evidently meaning that it was through these that the quarrel arose. Chapter six. As soon as he was at the head of affairs, Solon liberated the people once and for all by prohibiting all loans on the security of the debtor's person, and at the same time he made laws by which he cancelled all debts, public and private. This measure is commonly called the sesactia, bracket removal of burdens, close bracket, since thereby the people had their loads removed from them in connection with it some persons try to traduce the character of solon it so happened that when he was about to enact the cesacthea he announced his intention to some members of the upper class whereupon as the partisans of the popular party say his friends stole a march on him while those who wished to attack his character maintain that he too had a share in the fraud himself for these persons borrowed money and bought up a large amount of land and so when a short time afterwards all debts were cancelled they became wealthy and this they say was the origin of the families which were afterwards looked on as possessing wealth from primeval times however the story of the popular party is by far the most probable a man like solon who was so moderate and just in all his other actions that although he might have put the laws beneath his feet and have established himself as tyrant he preferred instead to incur the hostility of both parties by placing his honour and the general welfare above his personal aggrandizement is not likely to have consented to defile his hands by such a petty and unworthy transaction that he had this absolute power is in the first place indicated by the desperate condition of the country moreover he mentions it himself repeatedly in his poems and it is admitted by all we are therefore bound to consider this accusation to be false chapter seven next solon drew up a constitution and enacted new laws and the statutes of draco ceased to be used with the exception of those relating to murder the laws were inscribed on the pillars and set up in the king's porch and all swore to obey them and the nine archons made oath upon the stone declaring that they would dedicate a golden statue if they should transgress any of them this is the origin of the oath to that effect which they take to the present day solon ratified his laws for a hundred years and the following was the fashion in which he organized the constitution he divided the population according to property into four classes just as it had been divided before namely pentacosio medimni knights zugite and thetes the various magistracies namely the nine archons the treasurers, the commissioners for public contracts, polite, the eleven, and the exchequer clerks, colacrete, he assigned to the Pentacosio medimni, the knights, and the zugite, giving offices to each class in proportion to the value of their rateable property. To those who ranked among the thetes, he gave nothing but a place in the assembly and in the juries a man had to rank as a pentacosio medimnus if he made from his own land five hundred measures whether liquid or solid those ranked as knights who made three hundred measures or as some say those who were able to maintain a horse in support of the latter definition they adduce the name of the class which may be supposed to be derived from this fact and also some votive offerings of early times for in the Acropolis there is a votive offering, a statue of Dephilos bearing this inscription quote, The son of Diphilus, Anthemian height, raised from the Theates, and become a knight, did to the gods this sculptured charger bring, for his promotion a thank offering. Close quote. And a horse, stands beside the man which seems to show that this was what was meant by belonging to the rank of knight at the same time it seems more reasonable to suppose that this class like the pentacosio medimni was defined by the possession of an income of a certain number of measures those ranked as Zugite, who made two hundred measures liquid or solid and the rest ranked as and were not eligible for any office hence it is that even at the present day when a candidate for any office is asked to what rank he belongs no one would think of saying that he belonged to the thetes chapter eight the elections to the various offices solon enacted should be by lot out of candidates selected by each of the tribes each tribe selected ten candidates for the nine archonships, and among these the lot was cast. Hence it is still the custom for each tribe to choose ten candidates by lot, and then the lot is again cast among these. A proof that Solon regulated the elections to office according to the property classes may be found in the law still in force for the election of the treasurers, which enacts that they shall be chosen from the pentacosio medimni such was solon's legislation with respect to the nine archons whereas in early times the council of areopagus summoned suitable persons according to its own judgment and appointed them for the year to the several offices there were four tribes as before and four tribe kings each tribe was divided into three tritias brackets thirds with 12 naukraries in each and the naukraries had offices of their own called naukrari whose duty it was to superintend the current receipts and expenditure hence among the laws of solon now obsolete it is repeatedly written that the naukrari are to receive and spend out of the naukratic fund solon also appointed a council of four hundred a hundred from each tribe but he assigned to the areopagus the duty of superintending the laws so that it continued as before to be the guardian of the constitution in general it kept watch over the citizens in all the most important matters and corrected offenders having full powers to inflict either fines or personal punishment the money received in fines it brought up into the acropolis without assigning the reason for the punishment it also tried those who conspired for the overthrow of the state solon having enacted a process of impeachment to deal with such offenders further since he saw the state often engaged in internal disputes while many of the citizens from sheer indifference waited to see what would turn up he made a law with express reference to such persons and acting that any one who in a time of civil factions did not take up arms with either party should lose his rights as a citizen and cease to have any part in the state chapter nine such then was his legislation concerning the magistrates of the state there are three points in the constitution of solon which appear to be its most democratic features. First, and most important, the prohibition of loans on the security of the debtor's person. Secondly, the right of every person who so willed to claim redress on behalf of anyone to whom wrong was being done. Thirdly, the institution of the appeal to the law courts. And it is by means of this last, they say, that the masses have gained strength most of all since when the democracy is master of the voting power it is master of the constitution moreover since the laws were not drawn up in simple and explicit terms but like the one concerning inheritances and wards of state disputes inevitably occurred and the courts had to decide in every matter whether public or private some persons in fact believe that solon Deliberately made the laws indefinite, in order that the final decision might be in the hands of the people. This, however, is not at all probable, and the reason, no doubt, was that it was impossible to attain ideal perfection when framing a law in general terms. For we must judge of his intentions, not from the actual results in the present day, but from the general tenor of the rest of his legislation. Chapter ten these seemed to be the democratic features of his laws but in addition before the period of his legislation he made his abolition of debts and after it his increase in the standards of weights and measures and of the currency during his term of office the measures were made larger than those of phaedon and the mina which previously had a standard of seventy drachmas was raised to the full hundred the standard coin in earlier times was the two drachma piece he also made weights corresponding with the coinage sixty-three minas going to the talent and the odd three minas were distributed among the staters and the other values chapter eleven when he had completed his organization of the constitution in the manner that has been described he found himself beset by people coming to him and harassing him concerning his laws criticizing here and questioning there till as he wished neither to alter what he had decided on nor yet to be an object of ill will to everyone by remaining in athens he set off on a journey to egypt with the combined objects of trade and travel giving out that he should not return for ten years he considered that there was no call for him to expound the laws personally but that everyone should obey them just as they were written moreover his position at this time was unpleasant many members of the upper class had been estranged from him on account of his abolition of debts and both parties were alienated through their disappointment at the condition of things which he had created the mass of the people had expected him to make a complete redistribution of all property and the upper class hoped he would restore everything to its former position or at any rate make but a small change he however had resisted both classes he might have made himself a despot by attaching himself to whichever party he chose but he preferred though at the cost of incurring the enmity of both to save the country and establish the best laws that were possible chapter twelve the truth of this view of solon's policy is established alike by the common consent of all and by the mention which he has himself made of the matter in his poems thus i gave to the mass of the people such rank as befitted their need i took not away their honor and i granted not to their greed while those who were rich in power, who in wealth were glorious and great, I bethought me that naught should befall them unworthy their splendor and state. So I stood with my shield outstretched, and both were safe in its sight, and I would not that either should triumph, when the triumph was not with right. Again he declares how the mass of the people ought to be treated. but thus, will the people best the voice of their leaders obey, when neither too slack is the rain nor violence holdeth the sway for satiety breedeth a child, the presumption that spurns control when riches too great are poured upon men of unbalanced soul, Close quote. and again elsewhere he speaks about the persons who wished to redistribute the land. Quote, so they came in search of plunder, and their cravings knew no bound. Every one among them deeming endless wealth would here be found, and that I with glozing smoothness hid a cruel mind within. Fondly then and vainly dreamt they, now they raise an angry din, and they glare askance in anger, and the light within their eyes burns with hostile flames upon me, yet therein no justice lies. All I promised, fully wrought, I, with the gods at hand to cheer, not beyond in folly ventured. Never to my soul was dear, was a tyrant's force to govern, nor to see the good and base, side by side, in equal portion, share the rich home of our race. Once more he speaks of the abolition of debts, and of those who before were in servitude but were released owing to the sasakthea wherefore i freed the racked and tortured crowd from all the evils that beset their lot thou when slow time brings justice in its train o mighty mother of the olympian gods dark earth thou best canst witness from whose breast i swept the pillars broadcast planted there and made thee free who hadst been slave of yore and many a man whom fraud or law had sold far from his god-built land an outcast slave i brought again to athens yea and some exiles from home through debt's oppressive load speaking no more the dear athenian tongue but wandering far and wide i brought again and those that here in vilest slavery crouched neath a master's frown i set them free thus might and right were yoked in harmony since by the force of law i won my ends and kept my promise equal laws i gave to evil and to good with even hand drawing straight justice for the lot of each but had another held the goad as i one in whose heart was guile and greediness, he had not kept the people back from strife. For had I granted now what pleased the one, then what their foes devised within their hearts, of many a man this state had been bereft. Therefore I showed my might on every side, turning at bay like wolf among the hounds. And again he reviles both parties for their grumblings in the times that followed quote, Nay, if one must lay blame where blame is due, were it not for me, the people ne'er had set their eyes upon these blessings e'en in dreams, while greater men, the men of wealthier life, should praise me and should court me as their friend. Close quote. For had any other man he says received this exalted post, quote. He had not kept the people back, nor ceased, till he had robbed the richness of the milk. But I stood forth, a landmark in the midst, and barred the foes from battle. End of chapter 12 Recording in memory of Mitchell Edwards